0: Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, as Micaiah said, my name is Andy and I'm on staff here at the church. It's good to be with you guys Today, today is a special day for me. It's my birthday. Yeah. And I just want to begin by asking you a rhetorical question. How old do you think that I am? All right. That was rhetorical, Chris. Now, the reason I ask you about that question is because recently I, about two weeks ago, I was at a wedding and uh, at the wedding reception, I was sitting at a table with the uh, grandmother of the bride and she was commenting that uh, she and her husband had a a large family. And I said, oh, well, my wife Becky and I actually have five children. And then she responded, oh, that's nice. Do they live in the area? (laughs) I thought, how old do you think that I am? I have a 10-year-old and an 18-month-old. That's like the range. Yes, yes, they live in the area. Uh, we actually, all live in the same neighborhood in the immediate vicinity of the upstairs and downstairs of my house they yeah they, they live in the area, but in case you were wondering i am forty two years old yep. there you go yeah so uh, that younger okay uh, well the number forty two and being forty two is is a special number for me because that means that um I have now been a pastor at Brookville Road Community Church for half of my life. I came on staff when I was 21 years old. And I love being a part of Brookville Road Community Church. When I was nine years old, my family started going here. They supported our family when we lived in China. This is a special place for me. And... I'm proud to work here because I'm proud of what God is doing at BRCC. I was praying with the worship team in the first service, and we were just talking about what God was doing. And I just was saying, Lord, we just are, believe that the best days of BRCC are ahead of us. And it's not because we have a new building. It's because we have the same God. And there's this calling that we're moving into. And so I'm excited about getting to be here. But as I was thinking about the fact that I have worked at Brookville Road Community Church for half of my life, thus far, I started thinking about well like statistically speaking, in all likelihood i 'm now in the second half of my life, and as I was thinking about being in the second half of my life i 've just been thinking a lot of different. Things about just what God is doing. And it's been interesting as I share this like sort of new realization with some of the people in my life. They tend to have two kinds of responses. People who are older than me, when I, when I share with them about this like realization, they're like, oh, Andy, that makes me feel old. But when I share with younger people about this new realization that I'm in the second half of my life, they're like, oh, Andy, yeah, you are old, right? Yeah, already knew that. Yeah. What's it like basically living like, like one foot in the grave at this point, you know? I, but, but as I've been thinking about this new stage of my life, I decided that I was going to read Bob Buford's book, Halftime, about finishing strong in the second half of your life. Now, this book was originally published when I was a sophomore in high school, but it has been such a blessing to me, and I know to Many others, there's a lot of great things in the book. But for me, uh, on on a fundamental level, the the, the key ideas that I got from the book came out of two questions that Bob Buford asked us to consider in the first chapter. The first is, what do you wish to be remembered for? So that's a question of legacy. What do you wish to be remembered for? And then the second question is, if your life were absolutely perfect, how would it look to you? If your life were absolutely perfect, how would it look to you? Now, as I share those questions with you, I recognize that you probably haven't read halftime and perhaps just because you're in a different season of life than I am. You're not really thinking about those questions, but I really want to encourage you, regardless of your age, I believe that these two questions are important for us to consider. What do we want our legacy to be and what would our lives look like if they were absolutely perfect? Now, again, I told you I've been thinking a lot about this uh, second season in my life and Because of that conviction that I've been thinking about and these questions that I've been pondering, I really have found a strong sense of connection to the passage that Pastor Micaiah read earlier from Luke chapter 14. In that passage, Jesus was talking to his disciples. He was talking with the crowds. He was saying, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to make a sacrifice. If you're not willing to die to yourself in your old life, if you're not willing to take up your cross, you can't follow me. And then Jesus is talking with his disciples about this idea of building a tower, which is kind of a metaphor for building a life. And those verses, verses 28 through 30, have really been standing out to me recently. As I think about these questions of, legacy and what I want my life to look like, it seems to me that what Jesus is saying is if you're building a tower, you are going to leave a legacy, which is going to say something about you and what your life was all about. So you need to decide in advance what your tower is going to look like and whether or not you have to make a decision. Are you willing to arrange everything in your life in pursuit of building a certain kind of life? Jesus is asking, can you afford to build a that kind of tower now as we think about jesus's words building a tower i have to tell you that i've become a little obsessed recently with this tower now i don't know if you're familiar with that that is the rugyong hotel in pyongyang north korea that currently is the 120th tallest building in the world but when it was originally constructed back in the late 1980s it was the seventh tallest building in the world. It was the tallest structure in all of Asia. That building until 2009 was the tallest hotel in the world. The Ruyong has 105 stories. It's over a thousand feet tall. It was designed to have over 3,000 guest rooms with the top floors being set aside for five revolving restaurants. Recently, it's been modified on the side of the building. They put LED lights and they, you know, put like shows on for people of Pyongyang, sure, propaganda and stuff like that. But anyway, it's an impressive looking building. But here's the story behind the Rukyong Hotel. It was actually the brainchild of Kim El-sung, the leader and founder of North Korea. Although I have to say that calling him the leader and founder seems to fall far short of really giving you a picture of who he was When it comes to the people of North Korea, because he actually had lots and lots of titles. He was known to his people by many of them. Some of the relatively common ones were like, he was the great leader. He was the sacred leader. After he died, they changed the constitution and he was declared their eternal president. So, but those just seem kind of commonplace to me. The ones that I thought were interesting were like, seem more creative. Like he was known as the eternal son of mankind, and then I really liked he was the heavenly leader, which I thought was interesting because North Korea is officially an atheist country. But somehow he was the heavenly leader. But by far, my favorite title for Kim El-sung was he was the lodestar of human emancipation. Take that, Abraham Lincoln. You're just the great emancipator. This is the lodestar of human emancipation. He was considered to be such a great man. I mean, there's little wonder in North Korea that there are actually, uh, it's estimated, 35,000 large-scale statues of Kim El-sung out spread out through North Korea. And if you're watching on Facebook Live, I just want to let you know that uh, this is a sermon, not a social studies lesson. I, I, I'll make a point with this in, in just a minute. <laughs> Hang in there. But here's the thing. Among all of his other titles and the things that he was known for, we need to add... That this guy was a brutal dictator. He killed a lot of his people. He imprisoned even more of his people. He was the creator of the world's foremost totalitarian state. And what does this have to do with the Royang? Well, here's what ha- He had an ego, a big ego. He was competitive with South Korea. At his neighbors to the south. And when he heard that South Korea had been awarded the 1988 Summer Olympics, he decided he wanted to outdo those folks in Seoul. So he decided that in 1989, North Korea would host their own version of the Olympics and that all the competitors would stay at this new hotel, the Ryugyong Now, Kim's vision for this hotel was ambitious, and so was his timeline for completing it. Construction began in 1987, and it was supposed to be finished by 1989, in time for these Pyongyang Olympics. Well, unfortunately, the North Korean construction teams weren't able to get the hotel completed by this deadline. And in a place like North Korea, with a leader like Kim Il-sung, when a deadline is missed, that means something. You know, when people miss a deadline in North Korea, people literally end up dead. There's a reason that the nickname for this hotel is the Hotel of Doom. You see, there have actually been a lot of missed deadlines for finishing the Rugyang. In fact, not only was the project not done by the time Kim Il-sung died in 1994, it wasn't done by the time his son, Kim Jong-il, died in 2011. Furthermore, given the reports of the poor health of his grandson, Kim Jong-un, it seems unlikely that the hotel will be finished in his lifetime either. You see, here's the thing about the Rugyang Hotel. It has never been completed. No guests have ever stayed there. They call it a hotel, but it isn't a hotel. It is an empty shell of a building. Kim Il-sung thought that the Ryugyong Hotel would be a symbol of his leadership. And in a sense, he was right, but it wasn't a symbol of his greatness. It was a symbol of his failure. Instead of launching North Korea into the international community, it pushed North Korea deeper into being a failed st- state. It is believed, now North Korea is a very poor country, but they, they say that at one point, North Korea was spending 2% of its already meager GDP on just finishing this hotel. But they couldn't finish it. And when Kim Il sung died, after he died, there was a great famine. And because they'd been spending so much money on the hotel, they didn't have enough money to purchase food from the outside. So from 1994 to 1998, it's estimated that perhaps up to 3.5 million people in North Korea died of starvation and malnutrition. Now, to put that in perspective, three and a half million people, that's 10% of the country of North Korea. Kim Il-sung had a vision to build a grand tower, but he could not finish it. He thought his hotel would put his country on the map and set world records, but he failed. Well, I guess he didn't fail entirely. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, the Roo Gyeong holds the somewhat dubious distinction of being the tallest unoccupied building in the world. he's got all these titles, you know, maybe he should be considered, you know, the supreme failure, another title. At this point, Kim Il sungs signature achievement is that four decades ago, he started one of the longest running construction projects in modern history. Although, although I should point out that if you were to ask the North Korean construction workers how they feel to still be working on what was basically, what is basically a vanity project, for a guy who's been dead for over 25 years, they all say the same thing. I can't complain. Just think about it. It's North Korea. Not a lot of much complaining. You know what happens to that, those who complain. And here's the thing. You might say, well, it seems kind of in poor taste to you know, make fun of this guy. He's been dead for a while. But all they can do is point you back to Jesus' words in Luke 14. In Luke 14, starting in verse 28, what we read is, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, listen, everyone who sees it will ridicule him. (laughs) That's what we're doing right now. I'm just following Jesus' words. This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Just taking Jesus' words to heart. But really, the reason that I spend so much time today on Kim El Sung and the Roo Gyeong Hotel is because they are kind of extreme illustrations of something that we need to consider in our own lives. Because when you think about your life, what will be your legacy? How do you want to be remembered? Whether you are a student or a parent, single or married, working or retired, everyone, everyone leaves a legacy. Now, it might be good or it might be bad. It might be something that you're really proud of or something that you're deeply ashamed of. But everyone is building a tower. And the question is, what will your tower represent? The rugyong represents the failure of Kim Il-sung. But what will your tower represent? I want to go back to one of the questions that Bob Buford asked in halftime. If everything in your life was perfect, what would your tower look like? Now... When we talk about perfect, we have to acknowledge that, of course, there are bound to be things that happen in the future. There certainly have been things that have happened in your past that would keep you from, like, everything having a perfect life. But as far as it depends on you, what is your goal? If you were designing a kind of architectural blueprint, what do you want your life to look like Is your life all about your comfort and security? Are you living for your success and your achievement? Or are you living for the sake of others? Someday when your life is over and people look at your tower, what will they say? This is something we should all consider. No matter what stage of life you are in today, someday you will have to give an account. So again, let's think about that question. If your life was absolutely perfect, what would it look like on a basic level If you're trying to answer this question, it comes down to this. Who are you building the tower for? Are you building it for God's glory or for your own? Now, I'm guessing that for most people who go to church and call themselves Christians, they would say that their towers, their lives are built for the glory of God. But is that really true? I mean, really think about that. As humans, we have an almost infinite capacity to deceive ourselves and to deceive others. But God knows the truth. God knows the reality. We can say things, we can do things that fool other people. Maybe, again, even fool ourselves. But God looks deeper than our words and our actions. In 1 Samuel 16 and 7, it says, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The leaders of North Korea went to great lengths to make the Rugyong Hotel look good on the outside. But on the inside, the hotel is basically unfinished. They call it a hotel, but it is not a hotel. There is nothing to that building except a facade. And the same thing is true of many people who go to church in the United States. They call themselves Christians, but they aren't really Christians. There is nothing there but a facade. Nothing but an empty shell. Now in contrast to the Rugyang I want to show you another building. Now, when you look at that building I realize it doesn't look super, you know, impressive. I mean it's a nice looking house, kind of big, but nothing astonishing. And yet this building also has a history and is actually quite impressive. That house is found near Galveston, Texas. And when Hurricane Ike hit the area around Galveston in 2008, it did an incredible amount of damage. Entire neighborhoods were completely destroyed. And that's what makes this house so remarkable. Look at this aerial shot. It's all gone. It is literally the only house in the area that survived the hurricane. That yellow house was constructed by Warren and Pam Adams. They built that house after Hurricane Rita distra- destroyed their previous home. It was made to stand up to a hurricane, and it did. And as we look at this house, I want you to just consider, like just, again, this is a rhetorical question, but do you think that when Warren and Pam like, were allowed back into the area around their home, as they were looking at all the devastation around, and the fact that their house was still standing, do you think that they looked at each other and said, Oh, you know, I can't believe we spent so much money stormproofing our house. Do you think, I don't know, that we kind of overdid it? Like, I bet the house would still have like made it if we, you know, just spent about 75% of what we spent on, you know, stormproofing it. No, of course not. Of course they didn't say that. They probably said things like it was totally worth it. That was the best money we ever spent. Warren and Pam knew what was at stake and they must have believed that they couldn't afford not to build a house that would hold up in the storm. And the same thing is true for all of you. You can't afford not to build a house that will hold up in a storm. We often talk about the cost of following Jesus, and Jesus himself said that we need to count the cost of following him. But we have to remember that although there is a great cost associated with following Jesus, there is also a great value associated with following Jesus. It's kind of a cliche, but as the saying goes, following Jesus will cost you everything. But not following Jesus will cost you even more. The idea that we see again and again in the Gospels, and that so many of us in this room have experienced, is that following Jesus is worth it. Yes, we can think about counting the cost, but we can't afford not to build our lives in such a way. That they will hold up in the coming storm. Because the storm is coming. And the question is, will we be prepared? Will we be ready? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, you know, five, chapter 5, chapter 6, almost all of chapter 7, he's been telling the people, this is how you should live. This is what it's going to be like, you know, turning away from lust turning the other cheek, you know, when, when you've been wounded. You know, he's he's saying this is like very counterintuitive way to live if you're going to live in the kingdom of God. And then then he says this at the end. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, the same words that the wise guy heard, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. As you think about your legacy as you think about the tower or the house that you are constructing with your life, what you are building will make a difference in your future. It will make a difference in your future in this life, and it will certainly make a difference in the life to come. In our world, there are lots of people who call themselves Christian. It might be easy for us in the United States to call ourselves Christian, but it isn't enough to just know what Jesus says. Will you actually put Jesus' words into practice? When we think about what he said in the Sermon on the Mount, will you be wise or will you be a fool? They both heard the same message. They just responded to Jesus' words differently. One group obeyed and the other group didn't. When Jesus talks about what it means to be his disciple, We have to obey. We have to count the cost and consider the kind of tower that we are constructing with our lives. We have to ask ourselves, can we afford to finish what we have started building? Now, as we consider questions like this, I want to speak directly today to two different groups of people that I believe are present. I want to share a few words of encouragement and a specific scripture for each group. The first group that I want to speak to are those of you who have very intentionally built your life on Jesus. Just like Warren and Pam Adams, you know that you have to be ready for the coming storm. The storms of life are not easy, but by the grace of God, you have prepared as best you can. You have tried to be wise. And I want you to know it will be worth it. And as you experience the storms of life, Just like Warren and Pam, you're not going to think, I bet I could have skimped a little bit here or there. I kind of regret those acts of righteousness. Like, no. When you invest in the things of the kingdom of God, you're not earning your salvation. But and yet somehow you are storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. You will be rewarded in this life And in the life to come. For those of you who are in that camp. Who are building your life on that foundation of Jesus. I want to encourage you to keep going deeper. Keep drawing closer to Jesus. Perhaps as an exercise in that direction. You might consider listening to those. Or thinking back to those questions. That I mentioned earlier in the the message. From Bob Buford's book. And just say. I'm going to try to answer those two questions. Get alone with the Lord in prayer. Take a notebook. A pen. A pen. And just ask God, help me to answer these questions. What do I wish to be remembered for? And what would my life look like if it were absolutely perfect? And just, just ask God, God, I don't want these questions to be answered just by me. I, I want to answer these questions in your strength, from your point of view. I, I want you to know, whatever your age, I'm trying to answer these questions at the age of 42, Uh, This coming week, I'm actually going to take some vacation time. Becky is so gracious to just say, you know, it's okay for me to just get away uh, by myself. Just pray and seek the Lord. What, what What are my answers to those questions? I don't know how long you need to take, but I do know this. The Lord wants to help you answer those questions. My encouragement to you is found in the book of Philippians. To quote the Apostle Paul, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So those are my words for the first group. The second group that I want to speak to today, you guys are in a different place. For some of you this morning, you need to think about Jesus's words about being his disciple and about building a tower and counting the cost and taking up your cross. Counting the cost and picking up your cross, and you need to carefully consider whether or not you are actually following Jesus. Like, are you really following Jesus? Are you really a Christian? People in North Korea might call the Ryugyang Hotel a hotel, but it isn't a hotel. There is nothing there but a facade. As you look at your own life, you might call yourself a Christian, but are you really? Is there anything more to your life than a facade? Now, if you're in this position, my encouragement to you is found in Matthew 23. Jesus spoke with his disciples and about the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And he said to them, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, perhaps as you hear those words, you're thinking, I I like the first encouragement better. It, It actually sounded encouraging. But I want you to know that those words that I shared, they don't come from a place of judgment and condemnation. I share them with you because I care about you. I care about all those who are part of our church Family, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want you to have integrity. It's your decision. What are you going to decide? Whose glory are you building your tower for? Yours or God's? Here's what I want from you or for you. I want you to build a tower that matches on the inside and the outside. Again, I want there to be integrity in your life. However old you are right now, today is your chance to look at the kind of tower that you've been constructing and consider, is that the way you want it to look? Does it reflect the way you want to be remembered? Is your tower ready for the coming storms? Will your tower last for eternity? It isn't too late to make a change, no matter what your age might be. For people in this group, I just want to encourage you, get away with God and just say, "Lord, am I a Christian?" You know, lots of people are using that term. But like, is there something more than just a facade? Like, am I really a follower of Jesus? And and, and the truth is, like, there's lots of ways that it kind of can feel is difficult to judge. Like, is someone going to heaven or not? But like to, to decide whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, it's actually a, a pretty easy test. You just have to look and say, am I following Jesus? Like, when when I look at what he says in this book, am I doing the things he says to do? Am I going the places where he says to go? Are my priorities the same as Jesus' priorities? That's what it means to follow Jesus. And I just want you to know, again, like we learn about the Father of God in, in the Gospels and what his heart looks like. If you get away with him and you ask, am I really a follower of Jesus. He's not going to treat you with condemnation and just light you up for all your failures. The son who rejected the father in the story of the prodigal son, he comes back in shame. He says, I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. I I just want to be a servant. My life is just not going to work out. And the father comes running and embraces his son and welcomes him back, puts on a robe. He throws a party because he loves his son. And I want you to know your heavenly father loves you. So you have to make a decision. What is your tower going to look like? Who are you building it for? Once again, thanks for listening.